you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Mark chapter 13 this morning. That's where we'll be as we continue through Mark and uh, also on this Palm Sunday. Let me start off this morning with a bit of a light question for you to consider, and that's this. Are you ready for the end of the world? Thought about that this morning as we begin this Palm Sunday, just a little light conversation for you to think about. Are you ready for the end of the world? If not, <clears throat> there's a company that can help, as there always is, right? Vivos can help you. Maybe you've heard of Vivos, maybe not. Vivos can help you and your loved ones get prepared. Their website says, whether you want to believe it or not, we are on the cusp of an increase in the number and magnitude of events that may, in the twinkling of an eye, change the world as we know it. They list a range of possible cataclysmic disasters that if you didn't have anything else to worry about this morning, here's what you can think about. It includes this, Armageddon, plagues, a solar kill shot, a supervolcanic eruption, major earth changes, killer asteroids and comets, mega tsunamis, and an economic meltdown. Not to mention man-made threats, including nuclear explosions, a reactor meltdown, biological or chemical disasters, terrorism, and widespread anarchy. Just a few things to think about this morning. But, of course, Vivos has a solution for you. For a mere $35,000 per person, you can, this is legit, I'm not making this stuff up, you can co-own an underground Vivos shelter in one of their airtight, fully self-contained, impervious complexes designed to survive any catastrophe. The website advertises the complexes are comfortably, well, they'll comfortably accommodate community groups from 50 to 1,000 people. Uh, in spacious living quarters, outfitted and stocked for a minimum of one year of autonomous survival to ride out potential events. Every detail has been considered and planned for. Their website warns that says this, millions will perish or worse yet struggle to survive. But they also boldly promise Vivos is your solution to ride out these catastrophes. So you may survive to be part of, their words, not mine, the next Genesis. And they also say this. They said it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. So there you go. But there is this one last sentence they put in there. Vivos puts in. It says, members need to only arrive before their facility is locked down and secured from the chaos above. Now that's quite the catch, isn't it? You can have this facility, you can pay for it. The only catch is you need to know when the uh, solar flare is going to hit, the earthquake's going to come, the nuclear reactor is going to explode, and get to your vivo shelter before it gets locked down. That's the only hitch. Of course, if you could know the future like that, you might be able to come up with a solution for less than $35,000, right? It's knowing the future that's the hard part. I think most of us, if we had the opportunity before us, we'd like to know the future. We'd like to know what is coming. We'd like to know what's coming down the road, maybe years down the road. We'd like to maybe just know months or maybe just weeks down the road. 
I mean, if you knew the future that was coming, it might change the way you would do some things or the way you would live. Some people would like to know the future maybe for economic reasons. They'd like to know what stock to invest in or what business deals to make. Perhaps some people would like to know the future for relational reasons. If you knew that someone you loved only had a certain amount of time to live, it might change the way you act in that relationship. You might make the phone call that you've been hesitant to make or have the conversation that you've been hesitant to have. Knowing the future might change the way we live or might change the decisions we make. Would it change the way you lived if you knew when the world was going to end? What would you do if you knew when the world was going to end? Maybe you'd take that trip you've been putting off. Maybe you'd ask that person out on a date that you have been putting off. Maybe you'd make that phone call. Maybe you'd max out your credit cards. I don't know. What would you do if you knew the world was coming to an end? Well, I don't know what you would do. I'm not sure what I would do, but I know that Jesus talked to his disciples about what they should do. And I know that if you are a disciple and a follower of Jesus, then we should pay attention to what Jesus told his disciples to do if they know that the world is coming to an end. Today is Palm Sunday, as Pastor Brian has mentioned. You got one of these palms when you came in. Palm Sunday, uh, many of you know, remembers the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem the Sunday before he would be crucified. Many ways, Palm Sunday remembers the first coming of Jesus into Jerusalem. When they were waving the palms, many of them in their minds probably had in mind that Jesus would be a militant conquering king that they were hoping would come and save them from the oppression of the Roman rule that they were living under. And so they were waving these palms, crying, Hosanna, save us, and asking Jesus and hoping that he would be a conquering king. Because the Old Testament, the scriptures that they read before Jesus said that their Messiah would come, that he would be a conquering king. But their scriptures also said that he would be a suffering servant, but it's a matter of perspective. They never quite put the two together that there would be two comings of Christ. One as a suffering servant, one as a conquering king. It's a matter of perspective, right? It's like photography when you take a picture of something. When you take a picture of a 3D image and you take a 2D picture of it, you can have some funny things happen, right? I don't think that's a giant water bottle. I think someone got clever with some photography. And it's a matter of perspective. Some other examples of that, uh, you can have some fun with it, right? It's a, 2D, it's a 2D picture of a 3D image and some other images that are there that you can do some fun stuff with perspective. And I think when we talk about Jesus' coming and perspective, this mountain picture is helpful. In Jesus' day, what people were looking at, when they were looking at time, it was kind of looking at two mountain peaks. When you see two mountain peaks like that, a 3D image made into a 2D picture, you can see the two peaks. What you can't see is how big the valley is in between the mountain peaks. What you can't really tell is how long a span there is between these two mountain peaks. 
So when people were looking at the coming of Jesus, one uh, pastor kind of put it together like this. may not be a perfect illustration, but it's, it's kind of helpful. That is, you have kind of an Old Testament person looking up and they see the two mountain peaks, the first coming of Christ, Palm Sunday, the second coming of Christ. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, but we can call that the end of the world as we know it, new heaven and new earth. But what they always... They, couldn't really see in the Old Testament was how big the valley was in between the two mountains. This person put 2,000 years about, could be 3,000, could be 4,000. We don't know how many years there are in that. We still don't know. But there's this valley that exists between the first coming of Christ, the Palm Sunday, and the second coming when he'll come again into Jerusalem and change the world as we know it. And then there's this life in the valley. And we really live in the valley. We live in between those two mountain peaks. We live in between the time where Jesus came for the first time as a suffering servant to die on a cross for the sins of men and women who will put their faith in him. And the second time where he will come again as a conquering king. What Jesus does in our passage this morning is this, he basically tells his disciples, it's in that week, really just days before he's going to be crucified, uh, he'll be killed, he'll be laid in a tomb. Of course, next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we will celebrate the fact that he rose again. And what he's talking to his disciples about the passage this morning is, look, here's what's going to happen when I'm gone. Here's some things you can expect, and here is what I expect of you while I'm gone, before I return. And that's really what's going on. Jesus is really talking in this passage this morning. What I look at is what life in the valley between the two mountain peaks is going to be like. It's kind of like a parent that's leaving their child at home for a little while and saying, look, I'm going to be gone for a while. Here's what you can expect while I'm gone. Here's what I expect of you. And Jesus is kind of having this conversation. I remember when we got old enough as kids for my parents to kind of leave us home alone. And some of you parents may remember what that's like to go out for the first time and leave your kids at home alone when they get old enough. I don't know what they do. I know what we did. We played hockey in the kitchen because uh, we could never do that when mom was home. Uh, we actually used a bag of chips as the puck, which worked really well. It doesn't do any damage. Uh, but, it's, but that's what we did. I don't know if that's what they expected us to do. Probably not. But Jesus is going away and he's saying, look, I'm going away. I'm going to return, but I'm going away. And here's what you can expect and here's what I expect of you. So in this teaching this morning, Jesus gives two main instructions or two warnings when it comes to living life in the valley. Jesus gives them two things to be on their guard against in between the two mountain peaks of his first coming and his second coming. He tells them there are two things to be careful of while they wait out for his second coming, when it comes to this space in between the two mountain peaks, the events that happened and the events that are still yet to happen, Jesus gives his followers two directives. And so I want to look at those briefly this morning. And the first one is this. When it comes to life in the valley, Jesus says, when things get hard, don't chase after a false savior. When things get hard... This is not going to stay here. I'm going to just place this right here. It's going to distract everybody. Um, when things get hard, don't chase after a false savior. Chapter, and, and, and take note of that. When 
things get hard. Let's look at it in Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse, uh, verses 5 through 8. Jesus says this, Jesus said to them, <clears throat> watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus says that, look, things are going to get difficult. He talks in these first verses about political and natural disasters that are going to come just as a result of you living in this world. As a result of nothing else, the fact that you live in this world, the fact that you live on earth, the fact that you live in a world that has been tainted by sin, things will be difficult. There'll be political problems that will rise up. National geopolitical problems. Earlier this month, uh, there was a much, it was much talked about Benjamin Netanyahu's um, visit and speech before a joint session of Congress. And many questions were talked about and raised that day. Many geopolitical questions were talked about and raised that day. What if Iran gets the bomb? But there are all kinds of other questions that are in our world. What if North Korea finds a way to deliver the bombs that they already have? What happens? What about China? What's going on with China? And if, if China's being more aggressive in the heart of the world that they're in, what about the Ukraine and Russia? And what if Russia's... Uh, uh, their, their entrance into the Ukraine is just the beginning of their aggression. All kinds of questions that are going on in our world. And of course, they're not new questions. The names have changed, but they've been going on for years and for centuries. And Jesus is saying, look, these things are going to happen. Nations are going to rise against nations. There's going to be wars. There's going to be problems. So just know that while I'm gone, just expect that. Not only are there going to be political things, there's going to be natural cataclysmic disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, record snowfalls. All kinds of things are going to happen. And Jesus is saying, just don't, don't be surprised. Just expect that. That's what's going to happen. This is what you can expect while I'm gone. So if while I'm gone and this happens, you're going, oh no, something went wrong. No, Jesus told us this was what was going to happen. But here's the good news for those of you that follow Jesus. It's not only political and natural crises that a person can cause into, um, can run into that would cause them to run to a false savior. Jesus says that Christians, if you choose to follow Jesus and you're a Christian, if you choose to follow Christ, you can expect even more trouble in this world. Good news, right? You're glad you came to church this morning. But this is what Jesus says. Jesus says if you choose to follow him, you can expect even more persecution. Now it's very likely that Mark recorded this gospel and the events of Jesus' life in order to communicate them to Christians who are living in Rome. You didn't have to tell Christians who are living in Rome in the first century about the special persecution that Christians would suffer. They knew, they knew what that was about. Because you had an emperor, Nero, who was reigning on the throne, who tried to blame the burning of a major part of the city on Christians. And in one, he did all kinds of things to torture and to, to chase down to kill Christians, including and not limited to uh, burning them at the stake to use them as torches to light his gardens. You didn't have to tell Christians in first century Rome about the special persecutions 
that Christians would suffer. But it was true then, it's true now. Jesus says, just expect that when you choose to be a follower of Christ, not only will there be natural disasters, not only political disasters, but just by nature of you being a follower of me, you'll be subject to additional persecution. Mark goes on in his, uh, script, in his scriptures to write this. Verse nine says, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues on account of me. You will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. He also says, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus is saying, look, if you choose to follow me, there's gonna be certain things that would have been easier for you if you don't follow me. There's gonna be certain parts of your life they're going to be more difficult because you identify with me. 50 or 75 years ago, living in the United States, believers might have read these passages and said, Jesus, what are you talking about? That's not true for us. I mean, look at this country that we live in. The Ten Commandments are in our schools and in our courthouses. Children are praying in, in schools and there's all kinds of, you know, churches are everywhere and they're protected by the government. And Jesus, I, I know that happened back then, but that's probably not true for us. I remember talking to one man in this church uh, who said as a child in public school, he was required to memorize Psalm 23 in public school. Oh, what's changed in a lifetime? That may have been true 75, 80, 100 years ago, <clears throat> but what about today? Now things might seem a little different. Now these words of Jesus might seem to hit a little closer to home. The faith of Christians is viewed today as a private thing to be kept in church or at home. Not something that's appropriate for the public square. Not something that should impact policy decisions or the way people run their business. People of faith are forced to participate in supporting health decisions they don't agree with or suffer great financial penalties. People of faith could be subject to litigation if they choose to take a stand against the morals that our culture might promote. Pastor's sermons just last year subpoenaed because of preaching the Bible could be considered hate speech. The world we live in, Jesus says, don't be surprised but this. In fact, expect it. Expect that when you identify with me, there'll be certain things that'll happen, certain persecutions, certain difficulties that'll happen just because you identify with me. But here's the warning. This is what he says. To both the natural, the cataclysmic, political, and the persecution you might suffer as a Christian, what he, his warning is, don't let that start you following false saviors. Don't let that take you down the road of putting your faith in trust of someone other than Jesus. Because Jesus knew that was gonna be the temptation. Things are getting difficult. Where's Jesus? He hasn't come back. Where's Jesus? Things are getting difficult. We need to find someone else. Jesus said, look, don't be surprised. This is gonna happen. Don't start following false saviors. A false savior could be a religious teacher that teaches something other than Jesus teaches. Back, uh, back before Jesus, there was a time in the history of Israel, of God's people, where God allowed them to be taken into captivity because they had forgotten him. 
And during that time, there were men that were running around saying, oh, it's only going to be a couple years. Don't worry about it. We'll be back home in a couple years. And then there was this man, Jeremiah, that God had given his word to. And he said, Jeremiah, you've got to tell the people, it's not going to be a couple years. It's going to be 70 years before they're able to go back to their homeland. And Jeremiah started telling people, no, God said it's going to be 70 years. And they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear that it would be 70 years. They didn't want to hear that they would probably die in captivity before they went back to their homeland. Jesus knew that in times of difficulty, we will chase people to hear what we want to hear. We will follow people on TV or on the internet. We will follow people, read their books that kind of say, peop- that say things we want them to say, that say things that make us feel good, that say things to make us uh, believe, uh, you know, things that may not be true. Jesus says, look, difficulty's gonna come, but don't let that make you follow a false savior, a false religion, some kind of self-help book that says things other than Jesus would say. We're often open to people who will say something we want to hear when we're in a time of difficulty. So Jesus warns them, just expect it's gonna be difficult. A false savior doesn't have to be a person that leads a religion. A false savior could be your 401k. Oh, things are difficult, things are tough, but good thing I got this 401k, good thing I got this bank account where we should be saying, good thing I got Jesus. False savior could be your health insurance or your medical policy or whatever it might be instead of saying, good thing we have Jesus because he's the one that'll be with us through those times. False saviors could be a political figure, a legislative action, or some kind of government that we think needs to be changed. Those could be false saviors where we put our trust in those things instead of saying our trust is in Jesus. So Jesus said, look, there'll be times of difficulty, but don't let that draw you into following a false savior. I'm coming. And that leads to the second point. If the first point is um, things are going to be difficult, don't let, it follow you, don't let it cause you to follow a false savior. The second is this. Jesus says, while waiting on his return, don't fall asleep. While waiting on his return, don't fall asleep. Chapter 13, in verse 32, Jesus says this. No one knows about that day or hour not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Keep watch. Jesus says, don't let me find you asleep. In other words, I'm going away. Yes, things are going to be difficult, but there's going to be a valley. And when you're in that valley... Make sure you're keeping watch because I could come back at any time. Second Peter, Peter uh, in Second Peter puts it this way. Uh, he says, first of all, talking about the second coming and those that might doubt his coming back. He says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised ever since our fathers died? Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. 
Some of us might feel that way. Where is the second coming? And Jesus said, that's the way you're going to feel at times. You're going to be in the valley and you're going to feel like, where is this coming? Where is this king? Peter goes on to say this. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, here's the key, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason the valley is here is so that as many as will, will come to follow Jesus. And so he gives this valley, but Jesus says, you'll have this time and in there you'll be tempted to fall asleep. If the first warning is against getting too upset by the present circumstances, this one may be more about getting too comfortable in your present circumstances. This one is about the temptation to forget about the return of Jesus and just pay attention to your own cares and neglect the business of God that you're to be about in this world for him. If the first one, Jesus says, look, one reason you might go after false saviors is because of the present circumstance. You get so upset about it. The second one is one reason you might take your focus off of me is because of the delay in my coming. So he says, keep watch. Don't fall asleep. What's that look like? We can get lulled into a sleep by the delay of Jesus' return and the comforts of this world. We can think it's not that important to get right with God right now or be about his work. Here's some examples. Just take stock of ourselves. When we prioritize our comfort over the hurting and suffering of others, we might be asleep. We prioritize our comfort over others hurting and suffering, we might be asleep. We might not be about the Lord's work. When we prioritize our luxury over another's survival, we might be asleep. When we spend more time thinking about our next status update than we do thinking about how to share Jesus with people, we might be asleep. When we spend more time listening to the latest teacher, Christian or otherwise, than listening for God's voice, we might be asleep. When we spend more time talking about other people's lives than we do examining our own, we might be asleep. When our intentions about prayer never become actual praying, we might be asleep. Jesus says, keep watch. Keep watch, don't fall asleep because you don't know the time or the hour when I'll return. See, appearances can be deceiving. Delay does not mean denial. Delay does not mean denial. It's kind of like this. I remember hearing a story uh, about a, man who uh, used to attend this church isn't here anymore, but he, he is new to this country and he was new to driving in our country and especially new to our toll systems. And so coming up on the toll booths on the highways, many of you have seen this, um, you know, you see some lanes that are backed up and have traffic there and they're slow and then there's other lanes that are zipping right through. Well, in his very logical thinking, he thought, well, I don't want to I don't know why everyone's sitting over there. I'm going to zip right through. So he zipped right through the fast lane, of course, without having any easy pass or anything in the car, and just decided, well, you know, that's, why not? That's the way to go. 
And, and so that, he did that. And then he was riding with another friend of mine one day and, and the friend of mine was driving and he was getting in the lane to pay his toll and, and this man said, no, 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 you don't just go in this lane. You just drive right through. And this friend of mine said, no, 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 you, you have to pay the toll or they're gonna, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna come after you. And he said, no, I do it all the time. Just drive right through. And, <laughs> and this guy came back a few weeks later and said, oh, you were right. He says, I got a ticket in the mail and it had my picture on it and it had a fine on it saying, you know, I had to pay this fine for driving right through because I didn't pay the toll. And here's the point. There was a delay in the ticket coming. Just because nothing had happened didn't mean nothing was going to happen. And it's true with the coming of Jesus too, right? There's a delay. Jesus said, expect it. There's going to be a delay. There's a gap. There's going to be a delay. But just because nothing has happened doesn't mean nothing is going to happen. Delay does not equal denial. I'm coming again. I'm coming. I'm going to return. And so many people might look around and say, look, nothing's happened. It's been the same since our fathers and their fathers and their fathers. But Jesus says, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Keep watch. Don't fall asleep. Be on your guard. Be about the Father's work because you don't know when he's coming again. Being awake means being about God's work in your time, being about the work of loving God and loving people. That's what you want him to find you doing when he comes home, no matter when he comes back, when he comes back to Jerusalem again as a second coming, as that conquering king. Let me conclude with a couple comments. This, this discourse, one commentator writes this, warns us against both fanaticism, which is too much focus on the future, which Jesus was afraid his disciples were going to be focused too much on. He's like, look, here's the events that are going to happen. Don't, so, don't worry so much about when they're going to happen or how you'll know they're going to happen. Just make sure when they happen, don't follow false saviors and make sure you're not asleep. And so this passage, one, warns against a fanaticism that gets so caught up trying to figure out the times and figure out the dates and figure out what's going to happen and so caught up in that, Jesus is saying, no, 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 keep watch. Keep watch. Stay faithful in the midst of it. So it warns against fanaticism, but it also warns against skepticism. The skepticism that would say, oh, he's not coming back. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry passage warns against fanaticism and skepticism and against both preoccupation with the future and with the present only it's a balanced approach that Jesus says look I'm going away for a while this is what you can expect to happen and here's what I expect of you while I'm gone don't let the offense of this world or the lack of Jesus's return distract you from the truth that God is in control and Jesus is coming back again The resurrection during the first coming is assurance of the truth of his second coming. Let me say it again. The resurrection at his first coming, so this weekend we'll remember uh, Good Friday, crucifixion, and then resurrection Sunday. The resurrection is guarantee of the words he said that he's coming back. If he was not raised from the dead, then I would not encourage you to believe any other, other words he said. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead 
that hundreds of people saw it, that, church, that history of the world has been changed because of it, that the Holy Spirit is living and active because of it. The fact that he rose from the dead is assurance that he's coming back again. It's like the gold that backed the bills. That's the assurance. That's the guarantee. The resurrection is the assurance that he is coming back again. So don't let the things going on around you distract you from the truth that is before you. Don't want the things going on around you, whether it's the present circumstances, whether it's political crises, whether it's um, uh, natural disasters, or whether it's even the lack yet of Jesus' return. Don't let those things distract you from the truth that is before you that Jesus is coming again. The resurrection is coming. Let me close with this illustration Robbie Robbins was an Air Force pilot during the first Iraq war. After his 300th mission, he was surprised to be given permission to immediately pull his crew together and fly his plane home. They flew across the ocean to Massachusetts and then had a long drive to western Pennsylvania. They drove all night and then his buddies dropped Robbie off at his driveway just after sunup. There was a big banner across the garage that said, Welcome Home, Dad. How did they know? No one had called, and the crew themselves hadn't expected to leave so quickly. Robbins relates, When I walked into the house, the kids, about half-dressed for school, screamed, Daddy! Susan came running down the hall. She looked terrific, hair fixed, makeup on, and a crisp yellow dress. How did you know, I asked. I didn't. She answered through tears of joy. Once we knew the war was over, we knew you'd be home one of these days. We knew you'd try to surprise us, so we were ready every day. I thought, what a great call to us as Christians, right? We were ready every day. And that's really what Jesus is saying here. That when he comes again, be it today or tomorrow, or a hundred years from now, or a thousand years from now, will people in his church, in a matter of speaking, have banners on their lives that say, welcome home, Jesus. We're ready, we're waiting, we're anticipating, we've been watching, we've been about your work. We're ready for you to come. Don't let the things around you distract you from the truth that is before you. Jesus said it's going to be difficult. We can expect that. What he expects of us, don't be fooled by false saviors. Stay faithful to him and stay awake. Keep watch. If you're not a Christian and you've never chosen to follow Jesus, and what Jesus is saying, well, no, no day better than today to come and follow him and to give your life to him because you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know that Jesus won't come back before the end of this day. We can think, oh, it's always been like this. But just because nothing has happened doesn't mean nothing is going to happen. And so you may look and you say, oh, it'll be the same tomorrow as today. But don't let that delay in your mind equal denial. Jesus is coming. His resurrection shows that. He said that. And will we be ready? And if you're a Christian here, the challenge to you, I think, is to stay faithful. Don't let these times shake your faith. 
watching the news or the things you see on there. That doesn't have to, don't, I think Jesus, don't let that shake your faith. What's going on around the world? Jesus is still on the throne. God's still in control. Don't let that shake your faith. Don't turn to easy outs or false messiahs that make false promises that didn't come from Jesus. Stay faithful to him. Keep watch. Stay awake. Be about the work God has called you to. And be looking for his coming. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we come before you this morning and we thank you. Thank you that you hold time in your hands, that you are in control, that we can trust you. And Lord, so often, especially in our world, we like to be in control. We like to feel that we have things in control. We like so much to think that everything is in our control, when in reality, if we would just step out of it for just a moment, we realize how little control we actually have. So, Father, would you help us to put our trust completely in you in every aspect of our lives, that no matter when you come again, that we would be ready. That if there are people in this room that have never accepted you as Lord and Savior, that today they would put their faith and trust in you and begin to follow you with their life, take their hands off the wheel, allow you to take complete control of their life and commit to following you so that they will be ready when you come, waiting for you. Lord, for those of us in this room who are Christ followers, who have committed to following you and yet maybe have gotten too comfortable, too comfortable with the comforts of this world that we live in, too comfortable in the day that we live in, too comfortable in the world that we live in, and we have neglected some of the things that you have called us to, Lord, would you convict us? Would you speak to us in our hearts today so that we can be ready when you come? so that our lives will be that banner that welcome you, that we would be about your work. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, every day and every moment, that if you were to come, we would never be embarrassed, never ashamed, never regret. All of that God would be gone. We wouldn't have any of that because we are focused on your work, covered in your blood, covered by your grace. And we are awake and waiting for you. That's the kind of church we want to be, Lord. So would you help us to do that in Jesus' name? Amen. Would you stand and we'll close our service out in worship this morning. Lord, I come.